Hello and welcome to Finding Truth Matters with Dr. Andrew Corbett. We're pleased to have you join us for the program. There are some people in this world who seem to live a very exciting life. They're out there making a difference, influencing people and achieving great things. Then there's the rest of us who just seem to do the ordinary, the mundane. So which one has the more significant life? The ordinary and mundane is not necessarily insignificant if you live it with purpose. Tonight, Dr. Corbett continues in his series of discussions that may very well change your life. Basing his discussions on Rick Warren's book, A Purpose Driven Life, Dr. Corbett explores the importance and the process of finding purpose and meaning for life. Significance in the Mundane. Join Dr. Corbett now for the fifth in the series on finding purpose and meaning for life. As we look at this issue of finding purpose and meaning for our lives, that we, we sometimes think that that is only possible if we're doing something important. And we, we sort of label things as mundane, routine, and we label some things as big, important, and dare I say it and probably abuse the word, significant. And when you think back and uh, reflect on your life, those moments that, that are precious to you are probably not necessarily the big days of your life, although of course they become treasured memories, but oftentimes it's just the impression of accumulated routine, accumulated mundane, if I can use that word in a way that I don't mean meaningless. But you reflect back on perhaps a family member that's passed away and it may not be one thing that stands out but just their overall character that's come out. And sometimes we, we change the price tags on the value of our lives and on the lives of others by confusing the mundane. It was Francis of Assisi who was asked if he knew he had a minute left to live, what would he do? And as he was down in the dirt tending his vegetable patch, he said, I would finish planting these carrots. He could just continue to do what he did, knowing that he was doing something seemingly mundane. But yet everything his life represented was to the glory of God. When you're peeling the vegetables for tea, when you're taking out the garbage, when you're doing whatever, I'm not sure that it's mundane. In the scheme of God's purpose for us, I'm just not sure. As we look to find meaning and purpose for our lives, we've put this definition to it. To to live with purpose is to live for God and please him as we endeavour to extend his kingdom in our lives and beyond. Now, as I reflect on just that summary, that definition, we could sometimes think that we are responsible for what God is doing in other people's lives. And to a degree, we, we are our brother's keeper. We do bear some responsibility. But ultimately, 
To live with purpose is to allow God to extend his kingdom in our lives. We remember that closing scene in the Gospel of John where the Lord tells Peter that he's going to die. He's going to be taken to a place where he doesn't want to go and he's going to be treated in a way he doesn't want to be treated. And Peter's response is much like mine would have been. He points to the nearest other disciple and says, well, what about him? And sometimes God is doing things in our lives and we essentially, Peter does, we say, that's not fair. Why not pick on someone else? And God knows what he's about. That, that uh, poem that is so precious that, uh, to me, when God wants to drill a man and thrill a man and skill a man to play the noblest part when he yearns with all his heart, to create so great and bold a man that all the world should be amazed. Watch his methods, watch his ways. How he ruthlessly perfects whom he royally elects. How he hammers him and hurts him and with mighty blows converts him into trial shapes of clay which only God understands while his tortured heart is crying and he lifts beseeching hands. How he bends but never breaks when his good he undertakes. How he uses whom he chooses and with every purpose fuses, but every act induces to try his splendour out. God knows what he's about. And there's a sense in which when we live for purpose, we're allowing God to have his way in our lives. We may not understand it, we may not appreciate it, but God knows what he's about. Scripture says that God is able to take that which is entrusted us and to complete it. To take us from faith to faith, from glory to glory. God is able to continue to work in your life. Scripture is replete with people who, whose lives were perhaps caught up in what they thought or perhaps slowed down by what they thought was just years of mundane years of routine. We think of Joseph in Pharaoh's prison, perhaps there for 13 years, 12, 13 years, where Joseph could have thought, what a waste. Doesn't God realise that I'm supposed to redeem the time? Doesn't God realise these are precious years being wasted? And yet in God's economy, God knew what he was about. Something of a spiritual shark came into Joseph's spirit that he never had before he went into prison. He was now able to interpret the dreams of others. He was now able to hear the spirit of God like never before. We think of Daniel, a young man taken into captivity and like Joseph rose to become prime minister of a nation, but went along an unusual career path. We think of Moses called to take a nation from out of a nation. And he went on an unusual career path out in a wilderness for 40 years, perhaps 40 years of mundane looking at dumb sheep. He too could have thought, what a waste. Perhaps you're thinking, but 
my life doesn't have purpose. I'm just caught up in a nine-to-five job. I'm just caught up in a day-to-day routine. My life isn't interesting like these characters of the Bible. And then we're confronted with someone like Amos. Amos, who one day he said to a king, when the king said, what right do you have to prophesy in the name of the Lord? And Amos said, absolutely none, because just yesterday I was a farmer. And I've been a farmer all my life. I haven't gone to the school of the prophets. I don't have a degree in theology. I'm not trained like the rabbis. I'm not trained like the priest. But I know God. I know God. I've been walking with God. And I know as sure as you're standing there that God sent me to you today to tell you this. God knows what he's about. And so when we consider this aspect that God's purpose is to extend his kingdom in our lives, it means that increasingly he will become king and Lord. We read earlier in Revelation chapter 17 and verse 14 that he is king of kings and Lord of lords, the lamb that will conquer. And I want him to conquer me. I want him to be king of my life and Lord of my life. And that means I've got to change. And that means that in order for God's purpose to be outworked in my life and your life, it means you're going to change. You're going to change. We all change. Whether you like it or not, you can't stay the same. You will change. Some of us will will get taller. Some of us will get bigger. My wife points that out to me all the time. You're getting bigger and bigger. And I remember hearing Danny Guglamucci say that a guest preacher came over from Romania who shared a a story of deprivation in his life. He didn't have many clothes, didn't have much to his name and things were tough. And, And as this man shared, the Lord spoke to Danny and said, take him home, open up your wardrobe, He's about your size. In fact, just tell him he can have any clothes that he wants. So Danny went home, looked at his wardrobe, and his first thought was, I can't give away those clothes. One day I'm going to grow back down into those. And the Lord said, no, you won't. Give them away. (laughs) We're going to change whether we like it or not. The question is how. How are we going to change? And God, his purpose for us is to change by growing, to grow into a more mature person, a better person, a a more complete person, a sweeter person, and so on. But there actually is an ultimate intention for God's growth in our lives. How are we going to grow? We're going to grow according to God's purpose, and it's this. This is the fourth of the purposes of God for our lives. We are to grow by becoming like Christ. We are to become like Christ. If you have your Bibles, please turn to these scriptures. I'd like you to look at them. First is taken from 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 2. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 2. Note God's purpose for our lives. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk 
that by it you may grow up to salvation. What is the pure spiritual milk? Well, the scripture in in that context is talking about the word of God. It's an absolute thrill as a pastor and a Bible teacher to come across people who are full of inquiry into God's word. They're full of inquiry because they've read something and they, they didn't quite understand it. They, they want some insight into it. And sometimes when we read without insight, in other words, when we read without really understanding the context of what we're reading, it's like watching black and white TV with no sound. You can get it. You could watch a football game in black and white with no sound and, and you'd, you'd get it. You'd kind of get it. But when you can get some insight, when you can get some background to the text, you're able to read it with colour and sound. And it's a pleasure to see people hungering after God's word. But I want you to think about this picture. Like newborn babies long for pure spiritual milk. Think of a baby who desperately wants milk. And how does it let you know? If you've ever been a parent, you know at about 3 a.m. in the morning how it lets you know. There is a desperation. And that is like, the scripture is saying, that is like how we should be for God's word. I remember when, when I got saved when I gave my life to Christ around about 15 years of age and heading into 16, it was like the lights went on. Our hunger was so deep in my spirit that I was listening to the Bible on cassette tape. I was reading 10, 20 chapters of the Bible a day as a teenager and I, it was at those early stages of my life that I began to read one chapter of Proverbs a day and have continued to do that and just to get a hunger for God's word. And just about every year, I think, since then, I've read the Bible through once a year or, and just continue to just consistently read the Bible through. And there's a hunger in my heart now, some nearly 30 years later, that hunger in my heart for God's word has not, has not diminished at all. I long to understand God's word. I long to understand it and I long to make it understood. Like, like a newborn baby, it is God's purpose for us to hunger for God's word. If you are not daily reading your Bible then you are not hungering like a newborn baby does for milk. You are not hungering for God's word. And that is God's purpose for your life, to know God's word. The milk of the word is the knowledge of the word. The meat is the application. Ephesians 4, verse 15. Ephesians 4, 15. Rather, speak the truth in love. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. Now, now we're given an insight in scripture 
that not only are we to hunger for the milk of the word so that we can grow from being a newborn infant to becoming a fully formed person, uh, adult. But we are also to have the truth of God's word so that we grow, and now it says, to become like Christ. To become like Christ, we are to grow up in every way like the head, Christ. We are to grow up to become like Christ. And I want to talk more about this in a moment. There is a popular bracelet, bangle, or whatever that says WWJD. What would Jesus do? And I actually think that's a very unfair question. And I'll tell you why I think that's an unfair question. You're put into a corner of a room where people are aggressively coming to attack you. What would Jesus do? He'd walk through the wall. That's not an option for me. He'd call down 12 legions of angels. He said he could do it. That's not an option for me. So while I understand the intention of what would Jesus do is a noble intention, I want us to think not what would Jesus do, but what is Jesus like? And how can I become like that? And I believe that's actually what scripture tells us to do, to grow up, to be like him. You know, when you answer those questions, what is Jesus like and how can I be like that? I believe Christ will be formed in you. And you know, the Jesus that's formed in you, the Christ that's formed in you, or the the person that God wants you to be to reflect Christ, may be different. No, no, sorry, not maybe. It will be different to the person beside you. And that's exciting. Because you're not called to be like the person beside you, you're called to be like him. So let's explore this a bit more. One more scripture in this topic. We've got 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 18. 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 18, it says this. But grow in grace, or rather grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus, our Saviour. Again, the scriptures are telling us that there, is, that there is something that God wants us to know so that we can grow. Now, I, I believe that the process of learning or the process of teaching and learning is not just presenting information, and accepting information. We're not robots, we're not computers. That's not the way it works. The process of learning starts, I, I believe, with, with, a, with a heart that wants to learn. We want to know. And so my question is this. Do you want to know Jesus more? Do you want to know Jesus more? Do you want to know what he was like? I like the way Ravi Zacharias 
puts this when he talks about reading God's word. He said it's not so much about getting information. It's about learning a new language, the language of God. Because when you learn the language of God, you know God and you know the way he speaks. So when it tells us but we're to grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, we are to have a heart that is just yearning to know him. Because when we ask these questions, what is Jesus like and how can I be like that? Our lives will change. Our lives will change. Can you look back on your life and see how it's changed because of Christ? What does it mean to change? You know, if we're going to change, if we're going to become more like Christ, what does it mean? It was D.L. Moody, the great evangelist of the 1800s, who was sitting in a barber's chair in Chicago. And beside him was a little boy, a young boy, who was, who'd been brought in reluctantly by his mother to have his hair cut too. And as uh, the mother left her son in the barber's shop to have his hair cut, and beside him was the great evangelist Dwight L. Moody, Dwight L. Moody took an unusual for the day, an unusual interest in this young boy and and talked to him and asked him questions and spoke with him and answered his questions as well and just for some time and then the mother came to collect her son. The son got out of the chair and was so taken by the conversation he just had with Dwight L. Moody that he was overheard to say to his mum, Mum, Is that Jesus? Isn't that a nice thing when somebody can see Jesus in us? Mom, is that Jesus? Is that Jesus? Is that Jesus I see in you? Is that Jesus you can see in me? What does it mean to change? How do we change? If we're going to change, I think we have to be honest and accept where we're currently at. Number one, change. To live with purpose is to change, which means, number one, where are you currently? Where are you? You know, it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 5, It says these alarming and shocking words. Examine yourselves to see whether you're in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realise this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test? Now I want you to consider this. Paul is writing to a church. And he's expecting that this letter will be read to the church and essentially he's saying, some of you look like a Christian. Some of you act like a Christian. Some of you are very faithful and regular in attending church. Some of you can mouth the words like a Christian, but you're not a Christian. Something hasn't happened yet. Examine yourselves to see whether you're in the faith. Test yourselves. Well, how can we do that? 
I guess we could ask, do we have a hunger for God's word? I mean, if we've been born of God, do we have a hunger for his word like newborn babies? Do we hunger? Do we make his word a priority in our lives, in our daily lives? I guess we could ask, do we pray when times are tough? I guess we could ask, do we have the peace of God when times are hard? I guess we could look at all of these things. Whatever it is, examine yourself. Examine yourself. Test yourself. Number one, where are you currently? I know where I'm at. Where I'm at is not where I want to stay. I don't want to stay this way. Secondly, the second thing, I guess some of us could say, well, I'm here and that's about where I want to be. I don't want to move on. But for those of us who want to grow, I think we have to then... Look, take one step up. The next step up is this. What change is achievable? What change could I right now make in my life so that I become more like Christ? What change is achievable? Realistically, what could I do? And I constantly ask myself that. What do I have to do now? What do I have to change to become more like Christ? What could I do? What could I do? You know, for the person who's working 70, 80 hours a week, you know, to think that you can have a two-hour daily devotional is just unrealistic. It's not realistic. But perhaps for someone else, it is realistic. What change is realistically achievable for you? What is it? What could you do? What could you do to increase your passion for Christ? A few weeks ago, I had somebody say to me, you know, when we as a church were singing that song, A Church on Fire, I didn't sing it. I said, oh, why's that? I couldn't sing it. Why? Because I'm not on fire. And I thought, well, get on fire and join in with the other two of us that sing. Um, Number three, what is the ideal? Ideally, How would you like to change? Ideally, those aspects of Christ's life, ideally, what would you like of Christ in your life? You know, I'd I'd much rather that when I'm under the, the, the hammer, when I'm really under pressure, that something of the peace of Christ rules my life so that I don't snap and I don't get aggro and I don't let things get to me and I don't get frustrated. Ideally, that's where I'd like to be. Anybody else go, amen, brother, you do need that. Or, amen, I need that too. Uh, Because ideally, that's how I want to change. I want the peace of God to rule in my life. I want to be more like Christ in in that way, ideally. And I suppose I could look at where I'm currently at. I could go, that's where I want to be. I could go, well, no, I, I know God's been telling me. God's been challenging me. God's been you know, calling me to achieve this. I know I need to and I know I can. But ideally, where I'm kind of, ideally what I'd like in my life is is to just know the voice of God. I'd like to just have a, a word from God at the ready for people. I'd like to be able to move in the spirit. I'd like to be able to just instantly pray for people with boldness. I'd like to do all those things, ideally. Well, well then, if you're there... If you're doing all that, then the next one for you is this arena. It's the fourth arena and it's perfection. What is perfect? 
If Christ was to be perfectly formed in you, how would your life change? You know, it says in Matthew 5.48, and I thought about this. What kind of change does God expect me to make? I mean, if I'm to become like Christ, does he expect me simply to achieve the achievable? You know, as I think about the ideal, I think, well, ideally, God expects me to be a person of love, 1 Corinthians 13, ideally. But, you know, as I read scripture, I read scriptures like this, Matthew 5.48. You are therefore, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. And I think, wait a minute, are you telling me that the goal is to be perfect? I think, man, wait a minute, are you expecting me to be perfect? Well, I've got some good news for you. You know, as you allow and as I allow the Spirit of God to work in our lives... God's word promises that he's going to do something in our lives. I'd like to have a look at this. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 14. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 14. It says this, For by a single offering, that is the offering of Christ himself, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Now get this, when Christ died on the cross, the perfect gave up his life for the imperfect. And the scripture now says, he has made you and I perfect. In God's eyes, we're done. Legally, from God's point of view, because we have handed over our lives and accepted the life of Christ, when God looks at us, he doesn't see us, he sees Christ. And is there anyone more perfect than Christ? No. So when God sees us, he sees us as perfect, without spot, without wrinkle or without blemish. Now, I've got to tell you, that should cause you to go, whew, that's good news. We have been made perfect. But you know, the last part of that verse says this little thing, rather annoying. He has perfected those who are being sanctified. You know what that word sanctified means? Changed. Legally you are never going to get more righteous, never going to get more holy, never going to get more free of sin legally because Christ has dealt with it. He has perfected those whom he is changing. That tells me two things. Firstly, when I fail, I'm covered by the life of Christ. That's good news. Somebody, you know, some people have this concept of salvation that today I'm saved Uh, tomorrow I sin and I fall off the boat of salvation. Someone said it this way, you can slip on the deck, but it's very difficult to slip off the deck when your heart is right before God. Isn't that good news? I really like that. Well, it also says in Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2, looking to Jesus, 
the founder and perfecter of our faith. Who for the joy and so on. But he's the perfecter of our faith. In other words, as we allow the Holy Spirit to have his way in our lives, God is going to perfect something in us. And that is God's purpose for your life. You are not meant to stay the same. You are purposed to change. You are purposed to become more like Jesus. You're purposed for that. And in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 23, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. So there's a sense in which we are never going to achieve perfection on earth, yet it is still God's goal for our lives on earth. But true perfection awaits us beyond this life. So if you're beating yourself senseless, trying to be perfect, give up. (laughs) Give up and allow the Spirit of God just to have his way with a broken, fallen piece of humanity. And that's God's purpose, that you just continue being sanctified, being sanctified. Let's finish with this. To live with purpose then, because if you try and do that in yourself, not going to happen. To live with purpose is to invite the Spirit of God into your life. You know, I remember when I first became a Pentecostal, and uh, which simply means that uh, I had an experience with the Holy Spirit and believe in the activity of the Holy Spirit today, that people began to say, oh, well, you've got Christianity or Spirit-filled Christianity. I thought, wait a minute. There's, there's one too many categories there. Isn't Christianity... Meant to be empowered by the Holy Spirit? Isn't Christianity meant to be a life where the Holy Spirit can work in us, change us, mould us, do whatever he wants with us? Isn't that normal Christianity? Isn't that the only kind of Christianity? Of course it is. So I'm really reluctant to have these man-made tags and titles put on us. John 14, verse 26, Jesus said this, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he'll teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. John 15, 26, but when the helper comes, whom I will send to you, whom the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. Romans 8, 6 tells us to set the mind on the flesh's death. But to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. And Romans 8.14, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. We are to be normally filled, led and empowered by the Spirit of God. And that's what it promises in Romans 8.26. It says, when we don't know what to do, the Holy Spirit helps. That's a great thought. So, how can you change? How can I change? How should we change? We should change to become more like Jesus. Let's pray. 
Father, it's your purpose that we become like Christ. It's your purpose that our lives are like Jesus, a man who was full of love. He was perfect. He was the ideal. He was, in fact, the, in many respects, achievable. And so, Father, I pray that we too would become more like Christ. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you reveal to us just how you want us to do that. Lord, we've seen glimpses from your word that tell us that, that it begins, it at least begins by getting the milk of your word into our lives. So, Father, I pray for those whose hearts have gone hard, whose hearts have grown cold, whose minds have become dull to the things of the Spirit, that, Lord, you reawaken us. Father, for those who have lost their first love, rekindle that first love and passion for Christ. And if there's any within the sound of my voice and you know that your life is not where it should be, you know that your life is not right with God, I invite you right now to ask Jesus Christ to come into your life. It can begin with a prayer as simple as this. Lord Jesus, please forgive me for my sin. Please come and live in my life, I pray. And with a prayer like that, your life can be changed for eternity. Finding purpose and meaning in life. There is significance in the seemingly mundane when you live it with purpose and seek to become like Christ. I encourage you to stay with us as Dr. Corbett continues to explore the process of finding purpose and meaning for life over the final two weeks. If you'd like to listen again to tonight's program, you may like to purchase a CD copy for $5.50, including postage and handling. Just contact Lagana Media at PO Box 1143, Lagana, Tasmania 7277. Please quote the program title, Finding Purpose and Meaning, Session 5. Finding Truth Matters resources are also available via the website at www.findingtruthmatters.org. If you'd like to subscribe to Finding Truth Matters monthly e-newsletter perspectives, visit findingtruthmatters.org and click subscribe. Finding Truth Matters with Dr. Andrew Corbett is a production of Lagana Media. We look forward to joining you at the same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.